Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you a Bible. We do want you to be able to follow along. Uh, Over the past five weeks, we have been studying through the book of Daniel together, a series that we have entitled Dare to be Different. Because we see Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as young men who were taken captive into Babylon, Babylon at the time and uh, really took a strong stance for, for their faith uh, in Babylon. And because of that, we see a pattern, in fact, if you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, you see this pattern of, of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They have a, a strong godly conviction. And because of that conviction, then there is a persecution or a retribution. And, and in that persecution, there is protection. God provides a, a, a miracle of protection for them. And after that, as God has really uh, shown his power and might to overcome, then there's a glorification. And uh, God is glorified. And so uh, over these first six chapters, in fact, the book of Daniel is divided into two main sections. The first six chapters deal with this story and narrative of these uh, young men who um, are courageous in their faith. And then the last six chapters deal with the prophecies and the visions of Daniel as pertaining to future events and and times. And so we're going to be traveling through those chapters in the weeks to come. But uh, today we find ourselves in in Daniel chapter 6, which is a very famous uh, portion of Scripture. It's where Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. And maybe you studied that or heard about it in Sunday school. And uh, we're going to be looking at Daniel's courage and uh, and his faith. And in fact, a, a couple of facets of that, not only is he courageous, but we also see a picture of his character and of his integrity. So the point that I'd like for us to remember today as we study through this chapter is that godly integrity guards against glaring scrutiny. And what I mean by that is that when you take a stand for Jesus and you're a a, a Christian, then uh, there's scrutiny and examination uh, that comes against you. There's people that um, consider whether or not your, your character and your life, whether your walk matches your talk. And the integrity and the character that um, we see in Daniel is something that I, I think encourages us when um, we see those types of uh, accusations that would come against us as followers of Jesus. And so we're going to see just a very simple outline for us in this chapter. One is we're going to see the plot against Daniel to kill him. Secondly, we're going to see uh, the punishment that Daniel receives for breaking the law. Third, we're going to see the miraculous protection of Daniel in the lion's den. And then lastly, we're going to see this um, proclamation of honoring and and of glorifying God because of his uh, power and and his might. And so uh, we'll pick up our story here in Daniel chapter 6. 
verse 1, we read, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. And then Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps. Everyone say distinguished. A couple of things we see about Daniel in the first chapter, we see that he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the things of the kingdom. And now we see that over the course of his life, most scholars believe during the, right, the time of uh, the events described in chapter 6 that D- Daniel was semi-retired. Uh, he was called in out of retirement to serve as, as a leader because of his character, because of his abilities, because of his integrity. And he's probably about anywhere from 60 to 70 years old. So he's an older man at this time. And so he's got a lot of wisdom. He's got a lot of experience. And uh, he's now has an opportunity to bring that to the kingdom as he distinguished himself. Now, how did he distinguish himself? We see in verse 3. Because there was an excellent spirit within him. Now, that's just another way of saying, as was described in the previous chapters, that Daniel was full of the Holy Spirit. He was empowered and filled with the Spirit of God. And because of that, God gave him wisdom, discernment, and abilities. And so there was this excellent spirit in him, and the, and the king gave thought to setting Daniel over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel. Now, anybody who's got the name Satrap, I mean, they're, just, they're up to no good, I think. They're just ready to set a trap. It's a very sad trap that the satraps are trying to do here with, with Daniel. So stay away from anyone who says they're a satrap, because they're probably going to try to trick you and... That's what they're doing for Daniel. They're very envious because of his position. And now they try to bring some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could not find any charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was any other fault found in him. Now, Daniel's an interesting character in the Bible because he's one of just a a few that we don't see any errors or faults or, or, or failures uh, described in the narrative of his life. And that's not to say that Daniel was perfect. Uh, of course, uh, the Bible says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But in, in this example, I think we see a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. There's other pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. But Daniel is a great example of Jesus because Jesus is faultless. He's sinless. He's perfect. Now, they try to come against Daniel and bring this charge. And if you start digging in anyone's life, you're going to find some faults. (laughs) Look around this room, every single one of us. uh, We're not perfect, and we've got some failures. And if people have access to our lives, and they begin to snoop, and they begin to dig, and they begin to look, and they begin to scrutinize or examine our lives, it's Actually, really easy to find something in my life. I'm sure they have to dig really hard for yours, but on the surface, I mean, you don't even have to scratch the surface just to see my failures. But that's this picture of Daniel's character is is almost flawless, and he was faithful. So we have a picture of his public life, but also his private life. And here they bring this charge. Then these men, verse 5, said... 
We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So they knew uh, Daniel's reputation. They knew Daniel's character, that he was a good citizen in the kingdom, following the rules and laws and regulations, but he was also a faithful follower of God. He was devoted to him. And so they say, well, we're going to have to find something in his law against God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute. Now that's just a lie because Daniel is one of the top three over the 120 satraps and Daniel was not involved in this planning process. And so there's a conspiracy to not only assassinate Daniel's life, but to assassinate his character and his, um, his faithfulness to God. And so they have consulted together to establish this decree, to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the decree. So we'll just pause there, take a look at these opening verses. Here the leaders enviously plot to kill and assassinate Daniel on, on a couple of fronts and for a couple of reasons. One is, as we already mentioned, that Daniel distinguished himself. And he distinguished himself in his character and integrity. Now the word integrity kind of has the idea of how we live our lives when no one's looking. It's the idea that we have a consistency in the way we live our lives even though other people don't see what we're doing. And Daniel was distinguished not only in his work ethic, but also in his faith as he sought the Lord and, and desired to please him. So, so Daniel, when he went to work every day, he had a, a positive attitude. He had an excellent work ethic. And he had a supportive aptitude when it came to the skills and the abilities that he had honed over the years as a, a ruler and a governor and an administrator, not only in Babylon, but now transitioning into the Persian Empire with the Medes and Darius and Cyrus. And from, from empire to empire, it didn't change his course of action when he showed up to work every single day to have an attitude and an aptitude that was honoring to the Lord. And people took notice of that. In fact, Darius took notice of that and elevated him to a place of importance and of significance and of rulership. And because of that, we see the envy and the resentment and the jealousy that comes from these various satraps. Why? Because they go on to say, this Daniel, who was an exile, he's, a, he's a, an Israelite. He's from Judah. How can he be the one that is advanced over top of us? And I think that envy and resentment can, if we harbor it in our hearts, just like these men, can lead to evil treatment of other people. When we have envy and look at the advancements and the, the careers and, and, the, and the successes of other people, we say, I want that. Or, or we have jealousy and, and resentment and, and bitterness towards other people because of the things that God is doing in their lives. Then it, it ends up uh, allowing a root to take 
uh, hold of our hearts and it begins to uh, work its way out in evil treatment towards other people. And that's what's happening. They began to look for faults and, and failures in other people. That person doesn't deserve that. They don't, uh, they shouldn't have those things. And so this envy and resentment, it, it results in a conspiring against Daniel. But we're told that Daniel was faithful. Faithful. Faithful to the Lord. That Daniel's public life was flawless and his private life was faithful. And that's a hard thing to say because none of us, I think, can really measure up to a faultless life. As I mentioned earlier, we, we all have failures and, and, uh, and there's things in our lives that we regret and that we are working on and that we need to confess and that God can uh, heal and purify and cleanse. But as Daniel's life of integrity. It's a reminder to us to have a consistency in the way that we project ourselves publicly, but also as we conduct ourselves privately before the Lord. That those two areas of our lives as Daniel comes under scrutiny and examination are so important to keep in harmony and integrity in our lives. Now, because of that, what happens? This rule and this regulation, this law in the kingdom, the government passes a law that you have to worship the president, basically. You have to worship the king for 30 days. Now, what, is, what does Daniel do when this law gets passed? Look with me in verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that this law was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day <clears throat> and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. So we've been following Daniel's life. In the early days, he was anywhere from 13 to 16 years old when he was taken captive into Babylon and filled with the Spirit and, and used by God to bring interpretations and understanding and wisdom and counsel to mighty and powerful kings. And because of that, we see that he went to his home and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when uh, they were facing persecution. And they prayed for the mercy and the compassion and the, and the power and the grace of God in their lives. Nothing changed. And as he's older, he says, I'm just going to keep going, keep doing the same things. He comes into his home in the upper room and he prays. And then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They were looking, they were watching. And as a Christ follower, there are people in your work, in your school, in your home, in your neighborhood, wherever you're at, there's people watching looking to scrutinize or to criticize or to examine your life and to say, well, they're not a real Christian and how dare they do that? And some of those things might be baseless, but others, there could be no, no room for that type of fault or accusation because we're not giving them an opportunity to make those claims. And they're looking at Daniel and they say, ha ha, we caught him, we knew it. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that you've got to worship in this way? Verse 13. So they answered and said to the king, that Daniel, can you see the, ooh, can you see the power, the, the resentment, the anger? That Daniel, 
They're pointing at him. Who is the captive from Judah? He does not show due regard, O king, or for the decree that you have signed. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. Notice, he's not displeased with the satraps. He's not displeased with the rule. He's not displeased with um, Daniel. He's displeased with himself. Why? Because he regrets his actions. He regrets ever passing this law because Daniel found favor in the eyes of the king. And his heart was set on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down, until the sun, to deliver him. And these men approached the king and said, well, this is the rule. You can't change it. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. So this was some type of stone cavern or, or cave or, or, or area that was, um, that was open for, for these ferocious lions to, to be kept and in order to keep them protected and safe. They had these stones or these, you know, sort of uh, doors or, or walls to cover up and to protect and to keep the, uh, uh, the lions in the den. And yet, here we see the king saying, your God who is able to deliver. This is a great testimony of the king. Your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And basically, the king is saying, I've done what I can and now God is going to have to show up. God's going to have to be the one to deliver you and to do something miraculous. So in these verses, we see, secondly, that Daniel is unjustly punished for breaking a law in the kingdom. Unjustly, a couple of things. One is that Daniel repeats his uh, routine. He keeps his routine. He goes back to his house, and he, he, he prays, and he seeks the Lord. No doubt he's praying and asking, asking God, God, what do I do? Uh, my life is at stake here. And I think Daniel's learning that sometimes risking your security is the safest activity that you can do. He goes back and, and he prays. A couple of things on Daniel's prayer life I think would be encouraging to us just to look at his routine in seeking God in prayer. One, it was private. Notice he went to his home and he closed the doors and he, and he went to the Lord and he said privately. Now that's not to say we can't pray publicly and corporately. We're encouraged to do that. But we're also encouraged, as Jesus says to his disciples, that when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray out loud so they can be heard like they're very spiritual. But when you pray, go to your house, close your door in your closet and pray to God who is in secret. Because it's not about pleasing other people with our words and prayer. It's about seeking the wisdom and the guidance and the direction of God. And so in Daniel's prayer, he closes the door. He goes to his house. It's private. But it also points towards Jerusalem. Notice he opened the windows. Now, I would have thought, or maybe if I was in this situation, I would have closed the windows. I would have drawn the shades. I would have tried to stay under the radar. And, okay, well, this is very sketchy. I don't want other people to see, but I still want to pray and I, I want to seek God. 
And yet he opens the windows and points his attention in prayer towards Jerusalem. Now, why is that significant? Well, that's the place where the presence of God is. That's the place of the covenant of God. That's the place of the promises of God. And so in our prayers, not only is it private, but we can also point it towards God's promises and His presence in our lives. We also see His posture. He was on His knees. Now, you don't have to be on your knees to pray, but that is just a picture of surrender, of submission, of just fully just open to to God. So, uh, you know, prayer is not so much about bending our knee, but bending our heart. Our hearts should be knelt down in a posture before the sovereign God who is in control of all things. So there was a posture in Daniel's prayers to be submissive to him, but there was also a persistency. Did you see that? Three times a day, every single day, just spending time with the Lord in prayer. And, uh, you know, the New Testament encourages us to pray without ceasing. So we don't necessarily have a certain time of day every single day maybe you do I think that's good but we also have a consistency of just perpetually seeking the Lord God I need you every moment every hour every second every every day seeking him here's a a a picture of Daniel's prayer and then lastly he gives thanks there's praise he's praising the Lord if you're struggling with prayer this is a good place to be go home privately Position God in His Word and the promises that He's made to you, surrendering your heart to Him, just open to how He would speak and move, persistently seeking Him. This is a great example of His prayer life. And He goes, as was His custom. So notice that Daniel continued to pray even when the, the persecution got more intense. Now, usually, we, we run to prayer when it's really hard. And when things are going good, now I'm just, well, I don't know, maybe you can relate to that. Uh, but when things are going good and there's plenty of money in the bank account and we're going to make it through not only this month, but the next month and the next month and the next month and everything's going really well, then we tend to slip in our prayers to the Lord or to seek Him. It's in the times of distress that we cry out to God, and that's good and it's needed, but God wants to hear from you and I, not only when things are going bad, but when things are going great, when things are going uncertain. We don't know how things are going to turn out. Here we see Daniel's prayer, and then they bring this report. They come against uh, Daniel that it reminds us of a couple of things. One is that Even when we think no one is looking, God is still watching. Now, of course, these guys were listening. They were looking. They were hoping to see. And sometimes people are going to see and watch and look at your life, but sometimes they're not. But the most important thing is that Daniel wasn't seeking to please people. He was seeking to please God and honor God in his life. And because of that, he knew that no matter what was going on, that God was watching. And he wanted to please him And this rule and law is passed that you have to worship the king. And Daniel, here in this moment, refused to give the government what God alone deserved. Refused to give the government this law and this rule and this regulation. you got to worship the king versus worshiping God. Now, our worship is for God alone. And Daniel knew that. And he said, I am not going to worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were told to bow down, 
to this uh, image, they faced that same persecution. They were thrown in the fiery furnace. And so Daniel here stands as a beacon of hope and light to all those who are confronted with laws and rules and regulations that directly defy the law of God. And our brothers and sisters in Christ across this world are experiencing this same type of persecution. They are told they can't gather in churches, they can't worship, they can't pray in Jesus' name, they can't have Bibles, uh, and because of that, they're being thrown into prison. These are brothers and sisters in Christ, the persecuted church in various places across this world because of their faith in God, because of their hope in Christ, are being murdered, chained, slaughtered, convicted, wrongly and, and accused of these sort of things. Now, that is the power of God to be able to take a stand and to refuse to give in to these rules and regulations that are passed that defy the law of God. And so Daniel is a great example of that, desiring to please the Lord. And yet, the king here in this story, he was very remorseful when he realized the deceitful trap against Daniel. Well, we're told that the story continues on here in verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. And the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel, and the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they could not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. And now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever was found on him, because he believed in his God. Here in these verses, we see that God miraculously protects Daniel in the lion's den. First, the king had a sleepless night. He was very restless when it came to the condition of Daniel in the lion's den. And no doubt, Daniel had more peace in the fierce den than the king had on his fleece bed. You know what I mean? I mean, here he was, a comforter, fleece down. Nice Egyptian cotton, I don't know. <laughs> Daniel, in the fierce lion's den, had more peace because of the presence of God. Because he pleased the Lord. And that just does not make sense when we are in positions such as that in life. When we go through times where the lions are biting and, and, and the persecution and the trial is harsh, to have the peace of God, to have the presence of the Lord Jesus, and know that I'm in God's hands. And God's hand, which spans the universe, is also the hand that, which holds the universe in the palm of His hands, is also the hand that controls every detail about my life. And no matter what den or what fierce trial 
that we are experiencing in life, as a Christ follower, you have the promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That he will be right there with you in the midst of that fierce battle and pain and trial. You see, the king was sleepless that night, but Daniel was scratchless in the morning. There was nothing that could touch this man. There was no injury, and claws and jaws were no match for the raw power and awe of God. When the power of God was present in the midst of his trial, nothing could touch him. Nothing could touch you as a child of God. Sure, you're going to experience some hard things. You might go through some trials. There could be some, some inflicted wounds, but know that there is nothing that scratches you or touches you that does not first pass through the sovereign hand of God. And that if he's allowing it, and he is bringing about a good that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into our hearts, what God has prepared for those that love him and are called according to his purpose, that he is faithful to finish the work, the good work that he has begun in you and I. So the raw power of God is present. It's a true miracle. God showing up in the den, delivering him. Now we see the proclamation. The same pattern throughout the previous chapters we see in verse 24 in closing here. The king gave command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast him into the den of lions. It's just another side note here that if you are under attack and accusation that God will take up your defense. Sometimes we want to retaliate. We want to pick up spears. We've been studying a book, uh, The Tale of Three Kings in our pastor's academy with men who are called into ministry and being equipped as leaders. And uh, we meet twice a month and we're going through certain things. And um, in the book, The Tale of Three Kings, it's looking at um, uh, King Saul, King David, and King Absalom. And King Saul was very envious and jealous of King Dave, or D David at the time. He wasn't king. And because of that, he's throwing spears and javelins and trying to kill him and pursue him. And he's hiding in caves and all these sort of things. But Daniel, excuse me, David is a great example of someone who trusts the sovereignty of God, his purpose and his plan, and allows God to bring about his purpose and not pick up spears and attack in retaliation against those who are attacking him. And Daniel here is, is a, a great example of that as well. The Lord picks up his defense and the king here, those who accuse Daniel and they cast him into the lion's den. Them, their children, their wives, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. So that tells us that this was a, a it wasn't a natural preservation of Daniel in the lion's den. Oh, well, the lions, they just weren't that interested. They weren't really hungry. They were little, they were little cubs. They were small little guys. So, you know, there's no danger to Daniel in the lion's den. No, they were fierce. They were hungry. And they were out for blood. And these enemies of Daniel perished in the same trap that they set for him. And their demise came quickly. And then the king wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. 
It's one thing to have a God of Daniel. It's another thing to have a God, a God for myself. And we are never told that this king, King Darius, has made God his God. But we see that Daniel's reaction, Daniel's life, Daniel's integrity and character was a witness and an example to this king of the power of God. And to all the kingdom, that power and the might, he is the living God, steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. His enemies were destroyed, and yet his godly convictions in the face of grave conditions brought glory and honor to the Lord. And this is some of the lessons that we've been talking about over these past six chapters. They're, they're being repeated in this pattern to reiterate the importance and the significance that we too, as a life anchored in the hope of Jesus Christ, with godly convictions based on His Word, can shine brightly for the Lord in our world that God desires our life of character and integrity to be a witness and an example to others. That the convictions that God has given us, even though we face persecution and hardship and trial, can still be to the glory and to the honor, bringing people to the hope and the goodness of, of God. I'll just close with this as our worship team comes up. One thing that I noticed as I read through this chapter is really the picture of Jesus. Because if you remember, as we've tracked through these events, one is that Daniel was considered to be faultless and blameless. Well, Jesus is sinless and pure. The New Testament tells us that he was without sin. He's the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus is perfect and faultless. You know, Daniel was wrongly accused because of envy and Jesus was wrongly accused because of the envious rulers and leaders and the power and the authority that Jesus had to teach and to preach and the common people heard him gladly and so he experienced the persecution from these envious religious leaders. Jesus yet, he was faithful as Daniel was faithful. He prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, if you remember before his betrayal. He prayed that this cup of suffering would pass from him. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. His prayer was persistent. His prayer was the posture of surrender and submission to the will, to the decree of God that could not be changed, such as the Medes and the Persians' decree could not be changed. God's law could not be changed because there had to be a sacrifice. That without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness and remission of sins. God's law, His just law, for the consequences of sin could not be changed. And here Jesus is faithful. You know, just as King Darius wrestled over the regret that he had in the law and in the demise of Daniel. Do you remember what Pilate was struggling with? He looked at Jesus and said, Jesus didn't commit any sin. He's innocent. And he tried to wash his hands. He tried to uh, uh, push it away. He tried to 
figure out a way out for Jesus. But Jesus was condemned. And Pilate was trying to wrestle with this regret. Do you see the stone that was rolled over the lion's den? It was sealed with the signet ring. You know, as Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And his body, his broken body, his beat body, his dead body was taken up. It was put into a a cave, into a den, into a hewn out piece of rock. And a stone was rolled in front and Pilate's signet ring was sealed so that nobody could say his body was stolen and conspiracy theories could could persist. The same is true of Jesus' life, Jesus' death. And just as Daniel came out victorious, unscathed, death and the grave could not put a scratch on Jesus. He was delivered. He was rescued. The power of God resurrected him from the dead. Why? So that you and I could come out of the sin that is infecting every single one of us without a scratch, without a blemish, to be purified and cleansed and washed and delivered and rescued because Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And I know I spent many years of my life lost. But now the beautiful thing is I don't know how God did it. But I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind and now I see because Jesus came into the midst of the den. That death and the grave sunk its teeth into me. It was ravenous and fierce. There was no escape. I was in its clutches and its claws. But Jesus came. He come for you. He'll deliver you. He'll step in. He'll stop the mouths of sin and of the enemy and of death and pull it apart so it will not touch you. And it is because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And friend, if you have not received that deliverance, There is nothing else that matters today. So as we sing this song and as we close out this service, just in the quietness of your own heart, let me encourage you to call out to that name of Jesus. So let's pray, Heavenly Father. We love you. We thank you. We thank you for the picture of Christ in the life of Daniel. Jesus was faithful to the very end. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done I pray if there's anyone in this room or those who are watching and joining us online whose life is torn apart ripped to shreds by the consequences of sin and the ravages of this world I pray that you would encourage them comfort them Reveal yourself to them. And as they call out to you, confessing their sin, acknowledging you as their Lord and Savior, Daniel's God can be your God today. This same God who shut the mouths of lions can defend you in your trial, in your heartache, if you make Him your God. Confess your sin. Acknowledge the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The victory over grave and of sin. Newness of life can come 
being born again because of Christ's sacrifice. God, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.